Hey everyone, how are you, how are you doing? It's Clara. So I'm back with another one of my science chats. And in this uh, series, I talk to people working in STEM, in science, technology, engineering and mathematics about uh, their work and about things that are going on and about equality and diversity as well. And today is a bit different. Today is a bit special. So the Royal Society of Chemistry, they're uh, releasing a toolkit uh, probably the same day this goes live, actually. Um, and this toolkit is for working with LGBTI plus people in STEM. So it can be used for educators, it can be used in uh, academia, it can be used in, um, uh, you know, for teachers, it can be used in industry as well. There's guides on allies, there's guides on all sorts of different stuff. It's a really sort of, there's lots of stuff in the toolkit. And I, I think it's really nicely put together. So this comes in response to a uh, survey that was done by the Royal Society of Chemistry, the Royal Astronomical Society and the Institute of Physics, uh, which was looking in the climate for um, LGBTI plus scientists in physical sciences. Uh, and I'll put a link to that report below. But basically, you know, it said there's a lot more to be done. And so one of the recommendations is that we create a toolkit. Uh, and by we, I mean they. <laughs> so, yeah, the idea was that we produced a toolkit. And what's fantastic is that, you know, it's less than a year. It's just over a year since the report was released. And uh, the Royal Society of Chemistry have followed through and released this toolkit. And like I said, there's loads of cool resources in there. So we're going to talk a bit about, we're going to talk about why it was created, why it's needed, what's in it, and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, it's really exciting. So, um, this is, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, this is also released as a YouTube video on my channel. If you're watching the YouTube channel, you can also download it and listen to it as a podcast. Please do, I'm a small YouTuber, so like, subscribe, all the usual kind of stuff, you know. So with that, I'll uh, jump over to the uh, chat, shall I? Uh, let's do that. So, hello, Laura, Emrys, how are you doing? Hi. Hi, good. <laughs> yeah, so you're both having a, 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 what is it, Monday afternoon? Are you having a good afternoon? It's hard to believe it's only Monday. It's already been a busy day, but yeah, good. The weather's I'm nice. not busy. I'm not busy. <laughs> As a student. Oh, that's the wrong answer. You're supposed to say, yes, I'm really, really busy. I mean, yeah, I'm really busy. I'm really busy. <laughs> my extension. <laughs> so uh yeah can i get you both to uh introduce yourself so uh laura shall we start with you who are you what do you do why are you here sure yeah so uh, my name is laura reyes i work at the royal society of chemistry so i'm the program manager of inclusion and diversity um and i'm here to talk about the lgbt toolkit Awesome, fantastic. And Emrys, who are you? So I'm Emrys. Um, I am a student at the University of Cambridge doing a master's slowly, um, but I also did an internship at the Royal Society of Chemistry this summer um, in the Inclusion and Diversity team. And um, my kind of main project was developing the LGBT plus toolkit with the team. So, yeah, excellent. Which is how we managed to meet, which is really good. Mm -hmm. 
And Laura, I believe I met you at the LGBTQ plus seminar last year for the first yeah, time. Yeah, I think so. And then the um, Pride in STEM Outthinkers event uh, yes. a little bit afterwards. And then we, soon after that, we went into lockdown. So uh, yeah, yeah, well, the, the uh, that Outthinkers event that you had was the last in-person event that I talked at. Um, yeah, that was late February. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah, I got. I, I know that I got sick at the end of the. Uh, I was actually sick coming down with something at the time, and so uh, uh, who knows what. But you know, in hindsight, <laughs> um, you did a great job either way. I didn't oh, notice. I, yeah. yeah, I was. I was. Um, I was on the lampsips, keeping it together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so hopefully I wasn't a super spreader. But the rules were slightly different at the time, so you know. Yeah. Um, so I got some sort of questions. So what is the um, inclusion and diversity team at the Royal Society of Chemistry? What is it that you're, why, why do you exist? What is it you're trying to achieve? Yeah, um, great question as a you know, starting ground. Um, so the inclusion and diversity team, I mean, we are the Royal Society of Chemistry part of that. So we do serve the chemical sciences community. Um, and that's, um, it's within the external relations team. So I think that's also, um, that, that helps point you towards the, the direction of, you know, we're externally facing, we, we do serve the external chemical sciences community. So this is, you know, it can include members of the RSC, but not necessarily. And a lot of the work that we do um, is applicable worldwide. Um, across, you know, our membership, but also across uh, not just the UK, across different countries, um, maybe neighboring disciplines can, you know, use our, our resources and our work as well. Um, and what we do is really try to make chemistry welcoming for everybody. Um, so we try to address inclusion and diversity issues for underrepresented groups. Um, so, you know, within the context of this uh, conversation today, that includes LGBT plus individuals, um, but we do a, a bunch of work for, you know, anything from um, gender parity, so improving um, women's progression and retention within the chemical sciences. Um, race and ethnicity is a huge focus for us as well. Um, so it's really just trying to, first of all, determine who is underrepresented in the chemical sciences. We try to base everything that we do on data and evidence, and then figuring out what is needed to improve um, the inclusion of these individuals and then in, in turn um, the diversity of the chemical sciences and that's all to retain the best talent really. Yeah and Emrys how did you end up sort of working with the Royal Society of Chemistry what was it that you were doing and so it was rogue for me so I'm not a chemist I am not even a scientist um, but I um, applied to a internship scheme for disabled students and graduates called Change 100, um, which is a really great scheme that matches up um, disabled students and graduates with placements and kind of tries to overcome the um, underrepresentation of disabled people in employment and the underemployment of disabled people. Um, and so I was matched up with the, with the IND team at RSC, which was really exciting because I'd expected something a lot less kind of up my street um and so it was really great um to come into the team which was really welcoming really lovely and kind of basically be given like so i fed into a lot of 
what was going on, a lot of kind of accessibility and disability stuff, but also was essentially kind of handed this project of developing some kind of ongoing actions and something to follow up the exploring the workplace with physical science, the LGBT plus physical scientists report um, that came out in 2019. Um, so it was sort of my task with like in collaboration with the rest of the team and with others to pick something and run with it that would kind of work on the areas that were pinpointed in that report. That's cool. And yeah, we will mention that, but I'm, I'm just curious, uh, Laura, do you have a chemistry or science background as well? Or yeah, I do actually. I'm a chemist by training, um, so I did my PhD. Well, we, we have something in common. I did it in uh, materials science, sort of um, nanomaterials uh, for <laughs> heterogeneous catalysis. Um, but, you know, pretty early on in my grad school experience, I just, um, I, I wasn't sure if research was the path for me. And so that's how I ended up kind of on this, um, what I call behind the scenes type of roles where I'm still very much, I'm so passionate about the chemistry community and I still want to be involved in chemistry, but in a very different role than doing the chemistry myself. No, that's, that's really interesting to know as well. Um, so I think the last video uh, interview that I did was with um, Dr. Lillian Hunt, who um, works for the EDIS, which she works in equality and diversity for sort of um i guess biology stuff from my inexperienced point of view um, and so and i've also got another one coming up with someone that works for springer as well who mm. uh, did a phd in physics but is, is working for them and so you know having the science uh, phd or the degree there's different roles as well it's not just about going and working in a lab whether that's for a company whether it's for uh research because it doesn't suit everyone that everyone yeah. wants to and you know i mean i gotta look at it and think it would be lovely to have a permanent contract rather than constantly having those 12 months six months five months yeah. <laughs> contracts so it's good to see that there's sort of different options but i guess you um have a little bit of understanding of what it's like to be a person in materials i i, I think that materials is quite a good uh, field from my experience I've always seen it as quite a nice open field chemistry I think it can really depend on the group and the university but I'm sure that's true of materials as well I don't, I don't know, know how if you... I've, uh, yeah I'm not sure if I've noticed a specific um, contrast like that um, but I think like with any workplace um, there's just different cultures um, which ties in nicely to our uh, conversation of LGBT um, you know the, the workplace for LGBT scientists but yeah just like in any workplace I think it does definitely depend on your colleagues and the group culture um, you know how, how friendly and dynamic that will be and if it's the right fit for you and everything yeah no definitely definitely and Emrys how are you finding it I, I mean you know you're working with chemists so are you finding it a culture shock are you finding it surprising are you finding anything you know was it is it eye-opening <laughs> for sure i think i was slightly you know worried that i would kind of come in and be like hello i am i know nothing about chemicals what are they um but i mean so like it definitely wasn't an issue for the kind of the work that I was doing over the summer, but I think 
it was definitely also obviously useful to have people to talk to who had experience of STEM workplaces and chemistry workplaces. Um, although obviously those are incredibly diverse, I think that's one of the kind of approaches that we consciously took from the beginning was thinking about trying to, where, pre, where existing resources focus on university experience or industry experience or whatever it might be, we tried to kind of take a kind of across the board approach and actually kind of my experience within a university and kind of trying to make change in that university including for like trans students and stuff was I think like just as relevant so that was reassuring relief. I think for yeah. us adding to that it was so valuable to actually have Emerson's experience in our team and the you know the right skill set um, for the development of this toolkit and I mean Emerson you could have been a scientist or not I don't know if that would have made a significant difference it, it might have it might not have but i think the experience that you did bring to the creation of the toolkit was just exactly what we needed and hence why we're able to launch these resources now i do i do think as well i mean this is true for science across the board and this is why we want to be more inclusive is that having people from different backgrounds with different experiences it brings in different information and different thoughts and different ways of looking at it and whether it's the creation of these toolkits or whether it's actual uh, sort of lab work developing new chemicals or materials you know this is a bonus i think science should be very much a collaborative process i think it really we really gain something from having those different points of views and people from who aren't you know come from the outside they can sort of see things that sometimes we just miss we just don't notice definitely and and that does drive the all of the work that we do with inclusion and diversity you know like the the whole point is that we're losing talent because some people are not given the same opportunities or they face discrimination they face bigger barriers and so if we're losing this talent and have unequal representation you know at the end of you know the there's always academic uh, um, leaky pipeline picture but this is true in other areas um, of the chemical sciences as well that if if we're just losing talent then we're losing that diversity of thought and people that might have given huge contributions to the field um, and they just had to leave because it wasn't a welcoming space for them yeah. that's not okay yeah um, and and actually, so I, I keep on saying that this is such is one of the most important things when it comes to tackling inequality is admitting that you've got a problem, looking, finding out that you've got a problem, and actually being able to sort of put some numbers on it, put it in a report. Uh, you know, I think that's really important. And so uh, there was the launch of the, um, and I, I probably will get the name slightly wrong but you know it was the climate for science lgbt scientists in physical sciences which was launched was it last year or the year before? yeah last year yeah time's wibbly and wobbly. i know i know <laughs> <laughs> um but that was what i really liked about that was that it wasn't just so it was a collaborative um process it was the uh, royal astronomy society the institute of physics and the royal society of chemistry so it's good to see the collaboration because that meant that the reach was bigger it meant that there was a large 
reach in terms of the people respondents i think there was about a thousand respondents yeah that's right and so that gives you more accurate data which is really great and there wasn't any hiding of the data you know they weren't pretending that it was better than it was and with data data is really important as a scientist data is very very important but i love the fact that it also included um personal testimonies as well because sometimes if you just look at data you lose those testimonies and you lose what's actually going on you lose you Mm -hmm. know track of the people in there and so that report last year i keep on going on about how good it is because like say from the very first point of view is that you're trying to find out what the problem is and you're not sugarcoating it you're being honest and i thought that was really that was really important to me this was something that it was one of the first things that i did kind of when i arrived after all the hr stuff (laughs) was like was given this report and was like okay read it and you know and also wasn't sort of just told to read it but was kind of asked like what do you think about it do you have like criticism about it or constructive criticism and i had like very very little because <laughs> it is just really good and very and what you said about the testimonies is really important as well right because some of the um people who are having like the most difficult experiences are in minorities of minorities either because of they are a minority within the lgbt plus community or because for example they are um in certain roles that present different challenges um, so like being able to kind of pick bits directly from the report to kind of then focus on and think about what deeply was really, really useful. Yeah. And was there anything that particularly stood out to you? I mean, I'll ask Emma's first, but obviously I'll ask Laura as well, but was there anything that particularly stood out to you as surprising, as bad, especially as an outsider that's not a scientist? You know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of used to the culture of science because I've been doing it for 20 years, but... <laughs> from an outside point of view was there anything that really stood out i think i didn't find necessarily that much of it actually surprising there were some kind of little things that i just not kind of thought about in concrete terms like the issues that arise with international mobility for example and how kind of core a part of their like job role of research or whatever that is for like so many chemists and physical scientists um so that was something maybe that kind of you know not not a surprise but something that i was like oh right yeah obviously this is something that i should have been thinking about so that sort of thing um i think maybe so we the resource that we ended up making for lgbt plus teachers was off of the back of the data for teachers was really interesting because more people were having better experiences at their workplace but also more people were having worse experiences and so there's really this kind of wider range of like workplace experiences that on average a wider range than in other um roles so that was really interesting yeah that's cool yeah i hadn't thought of that and i just picking up on what you said i mean when i read the report i think there was a few different things in there but one of the things was that actually it was better than i expected believe believe it or not which is a positive thing but i was actually expecting it to be worse um and so i was you know i think some people 
um, who aren't in the LGBTI plus community might look at it and go, how can this such a large percentage of people feel that they're being harassed or being pushed out? And to me, I was like, oh, is that mm-hmm. all? Um, <laughs> which is a weird yeah. baseline way of looking at it, but it's true, unfortunately. <laughs> And, and Laura, what about you? Was there anything that you saw? So you kind of came into the RSC at the end of this? I came in January. Um, so I've been at the RSC for almost, sort of almost a year now. Um, and uh, yeah, so the LGBT report, well, the full title, um, I think Exploring the Workplace for LGBT Plus Physical Scientists. Yes. There we go. Let's at least say it once and then yeah. uh, we can shorten it from here And I can on. put a link below as well. Perfect. That would yeah. be great. Yeah. So um, that report had been launched the summer of 2019. So it's still, I mean, it's still fairly recent now, but at that time it was also quite recent, um, but I wasn't involved in its development. So I did kind of come into it a little bit like an outsider. Um, and I think I'll echo a bit of what has been said so far. Um, one of the things that I really um, admire about our team, if I can say that now as part of the team, um, <laughs> is just that that emphasis on data. Um, this is something that, you know, as, as a chemist in Canada, where I was previously, I always saw the reports that the RSE was putting out as so powerful because it really, you can't, argue against it like it's just proof that there are issues um and that really is just you know like the it just shuts down the argument at least hopefully it shuts down any argument but no the issue is actually there let's actually do something about it now rather than argue whether or not there is an issue in the first place um but i think yeah claire i think you're you're right that there was actually quite a bit of positivity within the report but i mean it still painted a picture that just wasn't good enough um, mm. hence the need to address it um, I think one of the things that stood out to me um, which might not be entirely surprising but it just stood out again from the data is the um, inequalities within LGBT plus experiences so you know that I think it was um, comfort of workplaces and then supportive policies at least those two it might be in other areas but those ones stood out to me that uh, men reported it more positively than women who reported it more positively than non-binary individuals. And so, you know, we can't just say like, oh, the LGBT plus climate is comfortable overall because actually there's different levels mm. of comfort within there. Um, and so that's something that we tried to address in the, in the toolkit as well. Like there are different experiences. Um, and then I think that the other thing um, that really stood out to me is just the sheer amount of recommendations that were at the, you know, at the end of the report. Um, there are uh, three areas for increased action. Um, and I'll let Emrys expand on that a little bit when, you know, talking about how the resources address those. But it was building a visibly welcoming community, reviewing and improving policies, introducing and improving training. And each of those three is written out for individuals, for employers, and for learned societies. And so it's just this like massive um, set of suggestions and work on how to improve the culture. Um, and that was, that's really powerful to see as well. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing, not just saying this is broken, but yeah. his suggestions on how we might be able to fix it. I think that's really important. Um, and I, it's something that I always try, but you know, sometimes you can't, sometimes it's like, I know this is broken, but we can't. 
Um, and also the, the, what you said about the data, just having the data and it being there. Um, <clears throat> again, that's really important because it's amazing, especially with LGBTI plus issues, the number of times we say that there's something wrong. But unless you've got that report, unless that data is there, unless someone's actually locked into it, people people won't listen to you. People say, mm, it's probably just you and your friends. So actually being able to have a wide sort of breadth of data is, is really, really important. And that's, I mean, especially when we're talking about um, the experiences of transgender youth at the moment, people keep on saying, well, there's no data. And it's like, yeah, because no one's doing it. Doesn't mean it's not there, which is why having those personal testimonies is really important as well. Um, and so, you know, as, as part of that, this toolkit came about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, so what is the toolkit? What is it that you've put together? What is it that you are releasing? And tell me more about it. So it is a kind of collection of resources in a kind of variation of formats um, with obviously the kind of limitation of needing things to be online um, was there from the beginning. But um, I think the presentation, actually, the design we work with was really incredible and the presentation of it is very like uh, intuitive hopefully. Um, but so there's a group of resources. Um, the report made it very easy. People have been said, oh, this is really great. And I'm like, yeah, but it was there. You know, the report made it very easy to kind of go down these routes of thinking, okay, like holistically, like you said, how do we fix it? How do we present a kind of, here's how you fix it. We're not just going to kind of wag a finger. We're going to say, you know, hold your hand and like, um, so with that in mind, and as well, I think as an LGBT plus person, if you're trying to find kind of resources, either for yourself or to kind of pass on to your employer or to your colleagues, um, a lot of the time you can end up reading through, like having to kind of scroll through a lot of like what we just talked about, like the kind of the data, the justification, when that's not necessarily what you want to read. So thinking of the kind of different audiences and what the different audiences for the toolkit needed was really um helpful in terms of the structure of it so what we ended up with in the end is um there's a little list um so there's kind of three main booklets i think um that give an overview of various areas for different specific audiences and obviously these audiences will overlap um but so there's one for employers and managers and HR and supervisors um, and that sort of thing on how to kind of use the whatever power you have in those positions to make structural changes in the workplace that will you know create a kind of safe and, and comfortable place for LGBT plus people and also just avoid kind of the kinds of indirect discrimination that a lot of the time people would just not you know they don't come with any malice that people would just overlook like how your systems are structured and, and that kind of thing um there's a booklet for lgbt plus individuals on kind of knowing your rights finding support um and kind of tips and um that one was the most difficult to write for sure um because a lot of the time you're kind of there going 
I know what I want to say and I want it to come across as in a certain way, but not that like you have to fix this yourself because of course you don't. But, uh, um, and then there's um, a booklet for kind of colleagues, people looking to be allies or to act in allyship rather. I kind of tried not to use the noun ally as if it's like a thing that you can kind of be or not be, but kind of allyship, like uh, kind of an active verb type approach to it. Um, and then we've got kind of um, some bits pulling up on specific issues from the report as a resource for teachers because of the kind of wider range of experiences and their like lack of um, networks was something that came up in the report there. Um, we've got a resource for international mobility and so that's partly kind of tips for individuals who are traveling but also um, kind of addresses employers and so theory your kind of responsibilities like if your employees aren't kind of feeling safe wherever you're operating then that's a problem um there's what else is there there's a glossary that kind of mm. ties all the mm. language in the toolkit together and also hopefully kind of in itself there's a couple of little tips in it like oh here's language that's probably a good idea to use or probably not a good idea to use um obviously with the caveat of different people preparing different things and um there's a little guide to the RSC pronoun stickers and how to use those practically at events. Obviously, that's maybe not going to be of <laughs> real life use for a while, but it's there. Um, and then there's a set of posters, which kind of the idea of which is obviously to like advertise the toolkit and point people towards it, but also to kind of in and of itself, like if you see one of these in your workplace that someone has put up, then that kind of hopefully fulfills part of the visibly welcoming workplaces um, recommendation. Um, I think that's everything. That's, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot I talked for a long time. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of stuff, but you mentioned that it was intuitive. You're right. I remember when, uh, uh, Oh, I, I missed one. I missed one. Yeah. yeah. I missed my favorite one. <laughs> which is the trans resource so a kind of a spotlight kind of collecting together of um all of the kind of info that is like particularly relevant for trans and non-binary people um into one kind of guide with like three sections for like employers individuals prospective allies um and kind of gathers that together and that was like a really important thing to have i think given obviously that trans people and non-binary people um, in the report were kind of showing to have like particular issues, particular, you know, on average kind of worse experiences. Um, but also I think it's like really good to have that as like a, a kind of statement of support in itself. Like, mm. yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, what you say about sort of just that visibility in the posters and stuff like that. I mean, I can't even, describe how important it was to me to hear a president-elect in their speech specifically talk about gay people and trans people and yes didn't talk about intersex people or bi people but um i mean that was such a momentous moment when he actually mentioned trans people and gay people and i was just like oh wow <laughs> yeah. that was just just being mentioned it's so important um mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, and you mentioned the graphic stuff. Like I say, I got I got the 
the resources to have a look through beforehand. And I was thinking, oh, this is a lot. This is going to take me forever. But actually, it was so simple and so well laid out and so easy to read through that I was able to get through it really quite quickly. And I did not expect that. I honestly saw the size of the pack. and I'm like, oh, my goodness. But mm-hmm. um, There was quite a difference between when I was sending them around like Word documents and looking at it and going, oh, God, this is longer than my dissertation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think the design in the end is just really lovely. And the drawings are just really lovely, but I realise I'm also You are biased. featured, so you are biased. <laughs> I'm totally biased. Oh, yeah, I'm also, yeah. <laughs> Different hair colour now, though. Oh, yeah. Cool. It's great. Um, for people that haven't seen it, there's a, a, a drawing of someone watching me doing my TED Talk on a screen, uh, which is really, really cool. And I was actually able to um, share that with the, um, the head of TEDx London uh, people who gave me the talk. They were um, having a little bit of trouble, having a difficult time. And I was like, hey, look at this positive thing. Um, I, I just showed it on my screen and they were like, oh, wow. That's so great. That was fantastic. Yeah. Um, so just sort of broaden it out a little bit more. There's so many resources, but I mean, Laura, who's this for? Who's this meant to help? Because there's stuff for teachers, there's stuff for researchers, there's stuff for, I mean, there's a lot of different stuff here. Who's this sort of aimed at? Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, you kind of just, uh, in a way summarize that it's for everyone. Um, and we've, it, well, uh, what Emerson has designed is broad on purpose. It covers all these different areas. You know, anything that's more broad to w- build welcoming, visibly welcoming spaces and, uh, you know, just address LGBT inclusivity in general to anything super specific, like, you know, for teachers, um, the trans spotlight is an important one. Um, international mobility is also a huge one because for research culture it's kind of just assumed that you kind of have to go places and that's not going to be safe for everybody Um, so that's an important one as well but I think what we're trying to accomplish um, if I had to uh, sort of summarize it um, in this toolkit is that it's to provide support and guidance for um, employers and for colleagues um, or, you know, people like friends, um, family, you know, for people to be allies, but teach what that means. Like um, Emma said, you know, like allyship, not as a noun, but as a verb, that allyship is a, it's not just a label, it's an active process and what that really means to be an ally. It's not just, you know, rainbow lanyards. It's actually like you have to kind of equip yourself with some knowledge and to be able to have conversations and stand up for your colleagues that are underrepresented. Um, And that stretches across um, other areas of work beyond LGBT. Um, So beyond that, like it's meant to support and guide, you know, employers and and colleagues and friends, you know, people, people to support LGBT individuals, but it's also meant to empower LGBT individuals. So I would say that those are kind of the three main audiences that we have in mind for this. Mm-hmm. that bit was really important as well I think because I kind of mentioned it already but yeah like a lot of the time obviously of what we're kind of advocating for is LGBT plus inclusion and then you kind of look for resources and they sort of speak to you as though you're not there as though you're not the one that's reading it so we really wanted to avoid that and kind of make it clear like 
we're kind of creating these kind of key messages or whatever um but we understand the kind of diversity of people that we're speaking to i think also uh sorry uh Amherst, you kind of you mentioned this a little bit earlier that the balance was really hard to uh find as well to not that the onus should not be on lgbt plus individuals to change the culture um so finding that balance of you know like yes the, the, they're part of the conversation and we're it has to be something inclusive of lgbt plus individuals anything that involves a change to include them has to include them as well <laughs> in that process um how many times can we say inclusion in this <laughs> um but you know it's not it's not up to the underrepresented person to change the culture um and it's really that's that's why i kind of started the my answer um with a focus on more so on employers and the people around the lgbt plus individuals um but also to empower the individuals themselves mm -hmm. i think like the message to it's kind of like a I feel like if I say a twin message, I'm going to think of another one and another one. <laughs> but if you like a kind of twin message of, you know, to LGBT plus people, you deserve to be in a workplace that is safe and is comfortable and that treats you with dignity and respect. And then to people who are not LGBT plus or people in, you know, who might be, but who are kind of in positions of power in the structures of organizations or like whatever it might be. Um, you know this is your responsibility like there's work to be done like you have a responsibility to this community just as obviously they're members of the lgbt plus community have a responsibility to other marginalized communities that we're not part of hmm. yeah it's um I, 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 my brain just stopped in the middle but yeah <laughs> no it's it's uh, you're right i i and i i it's interesting this talk of onus on people because on one side I would not want anything to be done that doesn't include good uh, input from, in this case, LGBTI plus people. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to be making people do it. It's it's all about giving people the resource, allowing to, um, have you know, to giving them support to make these resources to change the community, but with the input from the people, so that it feels like. Right. We're being consulted, yeah, and that was that was so. I mean, so the kind of process of putting the toolkit together was really fun, just in terms of being able to kind of speak to people. Obviously, you know, speak to people, and then some of the things that we're discussing are quite heavy, but it's nice to feel like, especially coming in as a non-scientist to try and kind of, it was nice to get that input and have it feel like the ethos of what we were kind of saying in the resources was also reflected in the like process of consultation of making the resources and who we talked to um but also one thing that i think was really um striking about like my time at the rsc was sort of learning that these things these kind of you know experiences that i have and knowledges that i have and kind of skill are skills and like you know being able to kind of do a job and be recognized and paid for it as opposed to kind of previous situations where kind of within the university for example like i think a lot of universities are this way right that it feels like an antagonism to sort of push for 
for change for marginalized groups rather than actually what it is which is you're doing them a favor um so yeah so that was really like important and just on a personal level i was like i can do things <laughs> great you did them very uh, well <laughs> thank you and actually i'm I do wonder about this because obviously, like you say, you've not come from a chemistry background and whether you'll be in science next or not, who knows? I don't know where you're going to end up. And at this stage, maybe you don't know either. But this toolkit that's been produced, I feel like it's not a chemistry toolkit. It's not a science toolkit. It's a toolkit for LGBT. I mean, do you think this is something that even if you're not in chemistry, not in science, you can still say like here's an example of a really good toolkit you know yeah 100% I think I hope it will travel because you know kind of as we're making it we're thinking yes we want this to be STEM specific and it does kind of obviously come from that data and come from these experiences but also like this isn't a STEM only problem right or like a material sciences only problem or whatever a chemistry only problem um so I hope it will be able to kind of travel and that a lot of the kind of key messages will be things that are picked up by I don't know who. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, and a lot of the time obviously these things kind of travel outside of the chemistry community naturally in the sense that like if you're making changes within certain departments in a university, then you might need to be making changes higher up in the university and that impacts on other departments. And if it's an industry then there's always going to be like different roles within a particular industry or like company or whatever so yeah i hope it will travel i will be showing it like <laughs> like my baby to people for sure i think there's there's a lot of value like you're you're absolutely right that this isn't just chemistry specific but there is value to uh you know a professional body like the rsc putting out a toolkit of resources with the chemistry community as its you know core audience in mind because um, I think you know, this is more from my personal experience in grad school I think there's definitely a little bit of a disconnect that it, if something isn't for chemistry it doesn't always make its way in um, and obviously for the RSE for us it's very important that this change does make its way into the community and that people actually use these resources um, and coming from us it's our hope that you know they actually will get used that people know that this is specifically for them for all the the individuals in the chemical sciences right um, and i think because existing kind of lgbt and stem things even as a kind of that being wider than just chemistry or whatever even like that within that obviously there's like so many kind of great initiatives and so many of them are like very much grassroots very much like people are yeah you know contorting themselves to try and kind of be able to do everything and um set these things up without like institutional support and so hopefully it kind of gives that opportunity to boost you know this intersection and this like community is like specifically important to people and like stem more widely right and yeah because i think somebody sort of there was a question at some point oh you know what's what is there about this that makes it different from 
Hmm. I don't know, going on like the Stonewall website or whatever. And I think it's like, well, do people go on the Stonewall website? Because I know like every job I've ever been in, um, that those kinds of, I don't know, there's just a tendency to see any kind of IND stuff that comes from like an external organization whose priority is that stuff is to be like, oh, that's kind of their thing. And that's kind of over there and maybe it's relevant to us but we're not gonna like seek it out whereas actually this is kind of saying no look this is important here we're bringing it to your door exactly. yeah yeah I, I think um i mean i think especially with schools and things i think that the stonewall resources can be really useful mm -hmm. and i do think that they get used but outside of schools yeah exactly. not so much and it and that of course depends on the school whereas if you've got something in, in many ways you've got something which is quite a big broad like this is how to be good with lgbti plus people and young people but because it's got that royal society of chemistry badge on it it's more likely to be picked up by science departments right than that wouldn't necessarily look at it otherwise mm -hmm. yes I, I mean that's the hope at least that it does just break down that that initial barrier that inertia you know to actually you know, consider it because we've basically done all this work and assembled it for people to use um and uh yeah maybe we've, we're pointing to places like stonewall and we're not oh, yeah. trying to take the place of stonewall <laughs> at all but people might not know about these various organizations um and that they're out there to implement you know different policies more inclusive policies and whatnot and so hopefully these resources will kind of help bridge that gap mm -hmm. um but also maybe um oh sorry oh that's no go go ahead i was thinking like you know maybe on i've definitely come across kind of specific departments in universities that kind of say oh this isn't relevant to us because that's like the humanities thing or that's mm -hmm. the, you know whatever it might be and kind of obviously that's not the case and i think like focusing on the kind of workplace environment is like helpful in that as well it's like no like this isn't like some high level like ideological debates literally just like individual people's experiences and how we can make structural changes to make those better right yeah i this seems like a good time to maybe watch the video from helen payne the mm -hmm. acting ceo of the rsc um just to show like the you know the importance of the rsc or of this toolkit to the rsc um, <laughs> yeah well actually yeah. that was going to be my very next question once that oh. was you know like <laughs> is this important to the rsc the obvious answer would be that you know there was a report that came out last year and already there's this toolkit come out things take a long time to happen but this has actually had quite a big turnaround so that suggests that it is important definitely yeah yeah and definitely yeah, so you've got a video from Helen. So just explain yeah. who Helen is for people that don't know. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, so Helen Payne is the acting CEO of uh, the Royal Society of Chemistry. And so she's put together um, a little video for us. Um, unfortunately, she could not join us for this actual live recording, um, but did send along a video uh, trying to open. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, there we go. It's open right now, so I'll play that. It's just about two minutes. Yeah, that sounds good. So hello, I'm Helen Payne. I'm the Acting Chief Executive of the Royal Society of Chemistry, and the pronouns that I use are she and her. 
Thank you so much to Clara for having Emerus and Laura on your podcast. And I'm really sorry that I can't join you for the live conversation. The launch of this LGBT plus toolkit follows a joint report we produced last year with the Institute of Physics and also the Royal Astronomical Society. Exploring the workplace for LGBT plus physical scientists found that although the workplace climate is generally improving, more action is needed to build genuine LGBT plus inclusivity in the physical sciences. And last year I was very proud uh, to launch the report, but I did say at the time that it must not be a resource that simply sits on the shelf, but it has to call us all to action. So I'm really pleased to see that we're delivering resources to help tackle the key issues identified in our report, including a specific focus on trans inclusivity. We want to help provide the guidance and support to create a chemistry culture where everybody feels that they can bring their whole selves to work and LGBT plus scientists can fulfill their potential. So whether we recognise it or not, we're all here to help make our culture in our workplaces the best it can be. And this toolkit provides the resources for employers and for colleagues to take part in positive change. And this is in addition to empowering LGBT plus individuals. So taking concrete steps towards greater LGBT plus inclusivity is a key part of fostering our diverse and welcoming scientific workplaces so that we can retain talented people of all backgrounds and identities. Great. Excellent. And, and yeah, I mean, it was great to see Helen at the report of the, uh, the, the uh, launch of the report last year and gave a talk. And it was nice to hear her emphasising that, yeah, actually, they want to follow up on this. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So this is, I mean, it, the report was really just a starting point for the RSC, right? It was to understand the current point at where we stand, to understand and identify what the issues being faced by LGBT plus individuals. But, you know, especially having identified those issues, then there needs to be action from them. Um, and so this is, this toolkit is a huge part of that. It's not the only thing but it is a, a huge part of our uh, follow-up actions to that report. No, definitely. Um, like I say, it, it does mean a lot and it's great to see that it's, you know, there's people at the very top are sort of contributing and getting involved and it was really nice for Helen to sort of send this message and um, yeah, highlight, you know, just talk about it. Um, and you and it's interesting because i think i already mentioned that it's not just a case of because for me one of the most important things is the first step is admitting there's an issue and what the rsc are saying is that well now we've done that and we know there's an issue so now we're going to continue you know it's kind of most people haven't taken that first step <laughs> and to see uh, the rsc sort of and that's why it's been such a pleasure to work with you over the last few years with the society because you know it, it seems it seems genuine to me you know it, it, it comes across and it doesn't mean that everyone's perfect everyone has their flaws and everyone gets things wrong uh, but I feel like there's a genuine look at honesty and look to improve that which is which is good I, I, it's nice to me <laughs> yeah that was definitely like what I found I think when just speaking to kind of friends who are at a similar stage at you know just graduated or whatever it might be um kind of talking about my job they were all like 
how have you found this? Especially other trans friends and non-binary friends. Like, how have you found this place that is actually really nice? Like, in a nice environment to work at. It was just... Yeah. Unfair amounts of luck, probably. <laughs> I think but, we're yeah. the ones that got lucky having you as our intern. <laughs> Gosh. Aww. I always say, so, luck, yeah. luck is an interesting thing that you kind of... There, there's definitely this luck of timing that you're in the right place at the right time. But the truth is that if you haven't put the hard work in beforehand, you won't get recommended for it. You won't get that opportunity. And if there's opportunities that come up as a result of that, it's because you worked hard when you did it. It's luck. There's definitely truth that, you know, sometimes timing is lucky, but you still don't get that unless you've put the effort in. So... Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that echoes exactly my thoughts. And in my previous lives in other roles, um, I have said that also to to students, you know, like, you hear so often in different career stories that, you know, luck is, is a huge part of it. But that's really, I agree completely with you that it's really just the timing and the rest is actually, you know, in this case, actually, Emerson's expertise mm-hmm. synced up exactly with what we needed. Um, and that's, that doesn't just happen overnight like expertise is not luck expertise and skill set and everything that's hard work yeah I guess like yeah kind of like I said like learning that things as a kind of marginalized person learning that your experiences and kind of what you've done to make yours and your community's experiences better in like different settings is also like that's a skill and that's useful and yeah that was just really nice. <laughs> like I felt very much at all points kind of treated like an expert, which was kind of wild because I was like, well, I'm just here. I'm being trans and disabled and like whatever else. Um, but you, you also have expertise in, you know, in, in making things better yeah. for other people. It's not just your personal experience. As valid as that is, it's not just that. It's actually the work that you have done in the past. It may not have been paid work, but it was still work that you brought forward to the internship Mm -hmm. yeah that's what i kind of want to say to students i guess like value what you do and to everyone because part of what is in the toolkit is about how kind of id work is very often voluntary very often like on top of other things um and kind of i think we say fairly firmly to institutions kind of you know don't let that be the only way that you develop your like policy and your practices is like through work that people are doing because they're like if I don't do this nobody will mm. but like recognize the kind of work yeah yeah and I think that leads on I mean Laura what else is the RSC going to be doing to support this toolkit so there's uh, the toolkit is going to be launched in a few days from us recording this so by the time people hear it it will already be launched and again we'll put a link below um and for those that catch it quickly there's going to be a launch event um uh, but if you're that, but that launch event is going to be the day after this comes out so um 
it, there's a chance that people might not <laughs> catch that although will that be recorded will that be yes yeah yeah so um i guess for for additional context yeah so we're gonna have uh, an lgbt plus inclusivity webinar on friday november 13th um, and clara is one of our speakers for that so that will be also an advanced celebration of lgbt stem day which is the week after um, but also tying into the release of this toolkit. So our other two speakers will be Izzy Jayasinghe and uh, David Smith, who's also, uh, well, he's a, a chemistry professor, but also one of uh, the members of our inclusion and diversity committee. Um, so has been very involved in all this work um, so far. Um, yeah, so that's one of the things that people can sign up for if they catch it on time and we do record it and uh, this is done in collaboration with chemistry world and so chemistry world on their youtube page they put up all the recordings from um, this webinar series which is called building a better chemistry culture um, so that kind of you know those those kind of standalone events in a way standalone um, continue throughout our work so things like that or we referred to earlier the um, pride and stem event uh, which to be fair, was not our event, but we would love to continue um, supporting um, different events run by the community. Um, we also have an inclusion and diversity fund that provides financial support for these types of events. So Tiger and Stem, for example, um, benefited from this quite recently. Um, so that will continue that kind of uh, supporting existing um, things to get continuing to celebrate days like LGBT STEM Day, um, Pride, uh, Pride Month, LGBT History Month, um, and doing what we can to really just continue to improve visibility for LGBT chemists and talking about these um, issues that are being faced by uh, individuals in the community. Um, and I guess on, on that note as well, um, you know, part of what we want to do with any work that we do is to open up the conversation um, and something coming up for us um, in December is our annual inclusion and diversity forum. Um, so although this year's forum will have a focus on race inequality, this is on December 8th, by the way, if anyone catches this in advance to still register, um, it is, it's gonna be focused on race inequality, but you know, a lot of the things that we're going to be discussing, especially something like allyship is, so relevant to the LGBT plus community and our work in that area as well. Plus, of course, like it's not siloed experiences. There's also intersectional experiences that we really want to hear from. <laughs> so this ID forum is, um, it actually came about in response to our Breaking the Barriers report and the LGBT plus report um, because there really was a need to you know, open up the conversation I hear directly from the community. Um, so like I said, we also, we really want to develop the concept of what it means to be an ally, you know, like how, how can that be an active process and to really, um, you know, shift the conversation away from just like, here are the, the issues being faced to how can we all address those issues and how can we all be champions for, you know, talking about everything and addressing um, the problems behind the issues being faced. Mm -hmm. That will continue for us as well. Um, it would also be interesting, you know, as part of our ongoing work to see how things have changed since the previous report. Um, 
that was, you know, like we have a baseline. We know where we stood at the point of release of that report. But is the work that we're doing addressing that? Um, it would be really interesting to see how that um, changes. And I think lastly, um, other than maybe, maybe we can talk about the seminar in a bit. <laughs> this car, I know you're quite involved in that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but lastly, um, we also have the bullying and harassment support service. So this was a, um, it's a phone based, but also there's an, um, an email form that you can fill in. So basically anybody that's affected by or concerned by um, bullying and harassment in the chemical sciences can call in to this support service. And that was because unfortunately there was quite a significant amount of evidence that bullying and harassment affects, um, well, LGBT plus individuals, as well as in breaking the barriers in that work, um, it affects women as well. And so that support service is quite important um, for, you know, tying into the LGBT plus work, even if it's not mm -hmm. solely for LGBT individuals. Um, I think that they're circular as well, right? Like the kind of the toolkit is going to feed into yeah. how, like, the expertise of the people who kind of are on that line and can support people and then obviously hopefully it'll just kind of spiral into a beautiful rainbow of LGBT inclusivity. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful image. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like you say, it isn't just LGBTI plus inclusion, there's disability inclusion, there's race, there's gender, there's uh, religion. It's kind of and, and that's what's important. I mean, I don't want obviously I'm fighting for my corner in terms of trans inclusion specifically, but I don't want equality for me. I want equality for everyone. I want equity for everyone. And that's what's really important. And these, we, we build these different sections up and we address the individual issues, but then a lot of the basic issues are the same. You know, a lot of the fundamental underlying issues are the same. And so we use these building blocks, but then we work together to improve things, mm -hmm. which is good. Yeah. And I think hopefully if I've succeeded in, in the goal of kind of making that something that the toolkit resources are kind of quite aware of. So like in, even in the, the resource that's aimed at empowering LGBT plus individuals, there is still again a section on like, consider kind of your own, like, obviously your own kind of individual actions towards others, but also if you're part of an LGBT plus network or community in your workplace, like, is that inclusive of all LGBT plus identities? Is it inclusive of like intersectional experiences? Are your events accessible to disabled people? Um, are you using kind of the inclusive pride flag or like whatever it might be, just like that being kind of a part of it. And again, with the ally, the allyship resource, hopefully that sort of, you know, I would hope basically that LG, that everyone who reads the LGBT plus resource would also read the allyship resource, even though it's kind of not saying this is aimed at you, because while it's not our responsibility to advance LGBT plus inclusion as LGBT plus people, it is our responsibility to be aware of, like, obviously, every other kind of issue of inclusion and diversity and, like, make sure that we're not fighting single issues yeah yeah and that's why it's great i mean with the launch event i know with the seminar the webinar series that you've been putting on at the rsc there's always been 
I think you've got a BSL interpreter, is yeah. that correct? Yeah, that's right. So for every single one, we've had a BSL interpreter and then that's, that's part of the recording as well. Um, and obviously, I mean, there's advances all the time in captioning technology and whatnot, but um, that's by far the best solution that we've found um, so far. And it's worked out really well. Um, we have had actually some feedback too that it has been useful for people. Um, so that's, that's obviously great to see. I mean, it's something that we were doing anyway, but if somebody has actually benefited from the interpretation services, then fantastic. I guess I, I missed in my list of things, um, I missed one thing that Emrys brought up, the um, guides that we have on inclusive, um, we have inclusive events, inclusive communications and committees. So those are other resources that again, aren't solely for this conversation of, you know, LGBT plus inclusivity, but they're certainly relevant to the, well, not just to that conversation, but to what else yeah. can be considered. And obviously those are super relevant for disability on a lot of levels. It was really cool to have the opportunity to feed into those and kind of think, um, you know, who has different needs that need to be considered in terms of access. But um, yeah, they're also kind of quite holistic in terms of use gender neutral language or think about whether your meetings are falling on religious holidays or like whatever it might be. No, that's good. That's good. Like I say, it's important to look at everything. And that's why um, I like groups that are definitely pushing for, you know, equity in, in STEM, not just for LGBT or disability or race. I like um, we still need those individual ones, but I love it when there's something that comes together and brings different expertise. And I've learned so much. But we mentioned the Tigers in STEM, and it's not the first time I've mentioned them, mostly because most of the people that have been on this podcast have been Tigers, uh, <laughs> to be fair. But that's it. I'm learning so much about race that, you know, things even over the last six months, it's like, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. I should be doing this. And we're always open to listening and learning. That's, I think that's the best thing we can do um, with our as allies is be open to criticism and realize like oh yeah no you're right we, we're getting that wrong and that's what i want other people to do as well <laughs> and um emrys actually one of the one of the things that really stood out to me as just so nicely phrased in one of the toolkit resources was the calling in versus calling out maybe you mm. can talk about that for a bit yeah yeah i can't remember where i kind of approached that from <laughs> years back or whatever but the kind of the idea being that um especially when you're acting kind of in allyship with a group that you're not part of and you're trying to kind of speak to someone else on their behalf kind of it not being a one-upping contest of like who's the better ally and like aha you made a mistake um and calling them out on it but the idea of being calling in and in a sort of just open way i'm trying I'm trying to like, physically embody calling in. Um, just gather everyone. Yeah, gather everyone and 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 hug everyone. Um, no, but like you know, open that conversation, invite people in, like with the idea of being like, you're not winning something over someone by calling something out, calling something in that like that they have done or said, and that they then get to experience it as I've not lost something here by being, by having this thing pointed out, I've gained something. 
Um, so yeah, I think that's important and kind of what underpins the allyship resources yeah. as well, hopefully. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, one thing that, so, you know, coming back to the sort of um, the report for the climate, um, you mentioned earlier the bullying and harassment uh, yeah. resources because you know the, the sad truth and we see this a lot with race and other um, diversities as well is that you know a lot of people in the physical sciences do feel bullied they do feel harassed and so you and so you mentioned this bullying and harassment uh, video and this is more for you know this is for all people right yeah yeah so i'd be happy to um play that because it's really it's a very short video it's less than two minutes but it it summarizes a lot of the what even is bullying and harassment and why is it an issue because i think that that could still be misunderstood and i'm not gonna repeat what's in the video because we're about to see it um but it does a good job of just explaining what yeah, that is that sounds um, good a lot has been done to prevent workplace bullying and harassment the truth, however, is that we still have a long way to go. For example, a recent report found that one barrier to women's retention and progression in the chemical sciences is widespread discrimination, harassment and bullying. But what exactly are bullying and harassment? Bullying is offensive, intimidating, malicious or insulting behaviour. It's an abuse or misuse of power through means intended to undermine, humiliate, denigrate or injure the recipient. Harassment is unwanted conduct affecting a person's dignity and can relate to a range of characteristics. Those accused of such behaviour are not always aware they've caused offence. A key understanding, however, is not whether the conduct was intended on the part of the perpetrator, but whether it was unwanted on the part of the recipient. A good question to ask is, would a reasonable person observing such behaviour see it as bullying or harassment? If you witness such behaviour, think about how you can be an active bystander. After all, we know when something's wrong. Imagine sailing solo in a hired boat and it springs a leak. That's the boat hire company's problem, right? Even so, you wouldn't think twice about taking action. That's the attitude we need to fix bullying and harassment. Ask if there's active bystander training available in your institution. And remember, Good role models aren't just good scientists, they're good people. I like that. Um, yeah, no, it's cool. And also the, the um, I think there's a, one of the panels says there's no place for religion in science. And I, th I think that that's um, a really important debate that's going on a lot at the moment is that we don't need to be actively inclusive. Science doesn't care about sexuality. It doesn't care about race. Um, and so it's good to sort of see that comment uh, highlighted. It's, mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not about um, making place... It's, it's nothing to do with religion it's to do with the people and if the people are religious then you need to be tolerant of that um and it's the same with lgbti plus stuff it's it's about getting the most out of our scientists it's about getting the most out of our researchers and that includes supporting people it means that giving them a place to be we had um in the in the report 
they had fairly high levels. You know, if you're LGBT, uh, if you're LGB, you're much more likely to look at leaving science than if you're not LGB. Um, and if you're trans, that goes up even higher. And I speak from experience of being one of those people that, you know, I mean, I had a, I had a different degree. I had a conversion course planned because I thought I was done once I transitioned. Um, and I've talked about this quite a lot. Um, and so it, it's, you know, we know that, that we've got more, like more people are saying that they're thinking of leaving. But what we also have to remember is that these are the people that have stayed in. This is from the sort of survivor um, point of view. And so if the numbers are already so elevated for LGBT people in science, how many more have we actually lost? How yeah. many more have left? Um, and it's really difficult to know how to get that data, let's be honest, um, because if people have left, they've left. <laughs> um, I was having a conversation with the UKRI about this recently actually just seeing if we can um maybe we can find that gap between phd to postdoc or phd to staying in stem um because they've got that link in there and maybe if people know that they're going to be leaving that'd be a good time to do that survey although writing a thesis isn't the most fun time anyway so probably everyone's thinking of leaving at that point <laughs> probably some truth to that um but yeah i think you're you're so right that it is we are taking the to get that data we have to have access to people to fill in the survey or tell us about their experiences and you're right that um i mean i think there's still value in the data that there is um but it is a bit of like you know you you kind of have to fill in the gaps and, and assess it from a, a different perspective than if you could reach out to the people that did leave and ask them why what was behind that choice um but i think um yeah i mean basically like to to kind of um go back to the the bullying and harassment video on some of the things that we were talking about before like the whole point of all of this is that everybody should feel safe and supported to bring their full selves to work and whether or not they choose to is entirely up to them but yeah the whole gap is really important as yeah, well yeah. kind of we that was something that i kind of i mean i spoke to you about this clara right like way back i was kind of oh i'm worried about um kind of not representing enough the kind of concerns of people who are not necessarily out as lgbt plus in the workplace or in like at all or in particular workplace settings or whatever it might be um and so we got some really helpful input um from various people on that and kind of try to make it clear, especially um, in kind of places where it would be easy to try and encourage people, I'll, you know, come out and be a role model for this and be a, you know, stand up here and sort of I am proof that this can happen. And obviously when people do do that, it's wonderful, but that doesn't mean that anybody should ever feel like there's any pressure to do that just as they shouldn't feel that there's any pressure to to stay in the closet yeah. yeah whenever people come up to me I'm in a place of uh, 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 privileges around where I'm in an honored place because people do come out to me because of my position at, in the university and stuff like that 
and I hear stories all the time and I say, look, you know, you just take it at your own pace. It's, it's a personal choice and you're still a member of the LGBT community, whether you're out or not. And I actually sort of tried to make a video for, um, I made a video for pride and I said like, you know, whether you're out or whether you're not, you're part of the community. And I wasn't in any place to do this sort of talk, this sort of visibility six years ago. I wasn't. I was in a completely different place. Now it's sort of my, I, I almost breathe it, but, but I wasn't in that situation. And so it's okay for other people to not be in that situation. You don't mm-hmm. have to be a role model. You don't have to stand out. You don't have to stand up. Just mm-hmm. look after you first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's, oh, sorry. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm so bad. Um, on, I think that's kind of a really important point. Then that leads into other things, like, like firstly the kind of importance of structural changes, and of you know of employers kind of saying, right, what things are there in our processes and our policies and our whatever that may be affecting people and we don't know about it because they're not out Mm. and so and the solution to that is not to like find them and drag them out but it's to kind of say you know what changes can be made to systems that then just make people's lives easier and mostly change you know and then the other thing is um obviously like what was brought up in the video about kind of harassment is not um like something can still be harassment even if the person whose actions were acted um (laughs) person doing something didn't intend for it to even like be harmful at all it can still be harassment it can still create an unwelcome environment and that's not then a like uh condemnation of the person who you know made this mistake or kind of said this like tone deaf thing um it's just a kind of recognition of like we can all do harm and therefore we can all work to not do harm and to undo harm definitely um yeah and i think what i was going to say too is that it's um like it's not just the the temporal or the snapshot of like where you're at now and if you want to step out and you know be this person that is a visible role model that may never be the case for some people because they just don't want to and that's okay too um and this isn't just for lgbt plus individuals it can be for anybody um but uh yeah i think it's you know anybody that wants to separate their personal life and their work life um great Hmm. do that but if you want to talk about you know your partner and you're not heterosexual you should feel safe about doing that if you're transitioning you should feel feel safe and, and welcome in a workplace to do that. Same thing goes for like, yeah, like religion, if you want to bring that up in your workplace to not face discrimination just because of these different characteristics. Um, and that's, that's the goal, like that it will be a welcoming space for everybody, but that doesn't mean that we're actually saying to LGBT plus individuals, like, hey, you, like, you have to mm-hmm. become a visible presence in the community because that's just not, First of all, that's really a lot of pressure and it's really unfair on people, but it's, mm-hmm. it's also just really not the goal. <laughs> that, that's not the point. Yeah. And, and the truth of the matter is, sadly, if you speak up about gender in science, if you speak up about race, you know, if you speak up about being trans full stop, you know, it, it's, it's hard work. It, mm-hmm. It's difficult. I, um, 
I interviewed um, Professor Jackson, Chris Jackson. He's going to be the first black person to give a Royal Institute lecture. And the emails that he has received, just yeah. visibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. We're actually having Chris Jackson will be one of the speakers at the ID forum. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's part of the reason why it's because, you know, just because he was chosen to give the Christmas lectures, he's facing so much abuse online, um, which really just, it's mind blowing. It's so unfair that, you know, like, yeah, anyway, it's just, I'm about to go on a rant, but it is, it's really unfair that just because he's black and was chosen for this role that he's facing so much abuse, um, whereas his, you know, maybe white colleagues would not have faced the same thing. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit tangential, but um, I guess also to bring it back around, let me bring in another thought that uh, was slightly brought up earlier that, um, you know, in terms of workplace policies, that um, it is important to keep LGBT plus inclusivity at the forefront. Um, and I think that the toolkit that, you know, especially the employer's guide that MS has put together, um, that does it, explains why very well um, in that, you know, if, if the response is, oh, but we don't have any LGBT plus staff, so therefore this is not relevant to us, it's actually, you know, it's, that's not the point because how would you know if they're not feeling supported in coming out or even just, you know, maybe not coming out publicly, but identifying themselves to HR or what, whatever body there is um, as someone that needs additional support. I brought this up in a meeting not that long ago that, you know, they said, oh, the, the responses of LGBT people were so low that, you know, we couldn't um, include the data because it was just too, too low and it would identify people. And, you know, when you look at the percentages of the population that are LGBT, it's like, well, that in itself tells you a lot. And it also doesn't mean that you should stop gathering that data. I keep on yeah. saying, like, I don't care if the numbers are small. Percentage-wise, the population, it isn't. And we know that as you go down in age, um, there's a higher population of the percentage of LGBT. So if you've got negligible numbers, that's the prop that, that right there is the problem. And that's why you've got to record that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, yeah. And, and I've been trying to look actually for the population, in fact, for the for the talk on Friday, but it really does depend on what report you read. So, hey. Yeah, <laughs> I've been, uh, yeah, we've been doing the same for, um, I guess, a, a plug for another piece of work that will be coming out by the end of the year is our diversity data report. So this is, um, you know, the RSE's events, initiatives, programs um, to look at the, um, the diversity data of the people behind that like membership and, and whatnot and you know different areas um but also benchmarking that against the uk population and saying you know like this is where we're at but this is also how it might compare to the population with our race and ethnicity work we put out um, um an analysis of PISA data higher education data to exactly do that to understand what the picture is in chemistry also compared to the UK population, but also to just know where we stand. Um, and that was the, you know, the starting point of the report, the exploring the workplace report, um, was also to know where we stand and then that way we could improve 
in the future. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, this is it. There's been a few reports the last few years before we just didn't have the data, but you know, there are additional factors and LGBTI plus people are leaving sciences and stuff at a higher rate. And then if you drill down, you've got resources for schools and the percentage of LGBTI plus young people who are leaving school are not doing as well as they should. There is actually data there that shows that, you know, we're already losing people at the school stage. So being able to reach out and, and have some sort of aspiration and show like, Hey, we've got, we've got queer scientists. We're not all, you know, if you are interested in science, you can be a scientist. We exist. There are queer people out there. Um, because I think, you know, as soon as young people think, oh, well, I like science, but, and I, I did the same thing, but there's no queer scientist, so I can't be a scientist. And so what's the point? Um, and so this is why it's important to have these resources show that the Royal Society of Chemistry is thinking about this, taking mm -hmm. account of these different diversities, and then also showing that we do exist. And so hopefully that'll help with the aspirational side of it, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think fundamentally, like even like beyond or sort of underneath like all of the kind of key messages that we're trying to get across in the resources the kind of key like underlying message is just like obviously this is important and the rsc thinks this is important um so you should too um and i think especially in relation to trans inclusivity that was quite um important to spotlight um and like i kind of felt quite strongly from the beginning like in a climate for trans people especially of kind of controversy and media over visibility almost in like the worst possible ways and like under visibility in the good ways um then like to kind of have that resource as a statement of like this is not about debates this is about like people who need to feel comfortable in and safe in the workplaces and like the rfc is like kind of unequivocally saying like that's what's important and that's what they're kind of doing the work on i think that was like really important yeah no i i completely agree with that it doesn't this really isn't about whether you agree or disagree you want to argue and debate mm -hmm. it's it's about you have people that are lgbt this is how you should support them because we should yeah. be supporting. You have a duty of care to support them, <laughs> but you should be supporting them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, it's good. And, you know, I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, we get to the point where we don't need these things. I run an LGBTI plus youth group. I, I'm hoping that we don't need, you know, I'm hoping that if we do what we are doing successfully, my group comes obsolete because it's not necessary we talked about the LGBT seminar, um, you know, we shouldn't need a specific LGBT STEM conference, but we do because we need to be able to see other people. We need to see those role models. And like I say, again, if we're successful, we'll become obsolete. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's, kinda, it's funny. That's like, that's my whole role as well, right? Like, yeah. wouldn't it be wonderful, my employment aside, if uh, mm -hmm. my role if inclusion and diversity just didn't have to be um, such a an important area of work anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we can use that money to do other stuff, you know, but hey, um, 
and hopefully we'll still all have jobs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there is that. Sadly, I don't think we're there yet. Um, <laughs> no. But we will be. Um, and I, I will say it's been great. So, yeah, we mentioned the LGBT seminar, which is uh, uh, we're hosting it in Oxford, although it's digital in January um, in 2021. So actually the deadline for submitting abstracts is coming up and we really do want a good diverse group of people that are sort of submitting. I'll put the, I'll put a poster on screen. Actually, I can do that. I can edit. Um, but it's great that the RFC have supported that, um, you know, since it's been running basically and other institutions as well. Um, it's great to see that support because it shows that it does matter. It does it is important, you know. Yeah, and we usually, in times of traveling to in-person events, we have provided travel bursaries as well. Um, this year, obviously, that's not um, not the case. There's no need to travel, um, but we do still have our grants for carers and assistance grants. So that's financial support for anybody that has um, to cover the cost of either caring responsibilities or. Um, additional assistance, um, you know, like equipment or assistance, like a BSL interpreter, for example, to attend an, an event. Um, and this year, because of COVID, we've expanded that to online events as well. Oh, that's really good to hear. Yeah, I know we're going to be, um, I'm just getting quotes for, uh, for, well, I want live transcription rather than BSL interpretation, just yeah. because English typing and BSL are both English specific uh, and we do have an international audience so we thought it might be slightly better if it was transcription yeah, um, but we've been I've been battling backwards and forwards with that one to be honest but um, uh, so but it will be sort of done by someone rather than just auto generated especially with science it throws up some very weird sentences if it's just generated. <laughs> I can tell you um, yeah but, but, but yeah, that sounds great, though. I'm glad that that will be part of the event for sure. That's yeah, awesome. well, because we don't have the cost of halls and stuff like that. Although, of course, <laughs> it means that we've also not had the we've not been asking for the money, although you'll be getting a request soon. Um, Perfect. We thought that we had a lot less cost and it's like, well, we can yeah. spend it on that. And then we've also realized that we need um, a slightly different. We need to buy an online platform. Well, that's complicated. That's a whole talk. That's a whole thing. <laughs> anyway, won't go into that. But, uh, and I realize I've kept you for quite a long time. So it's been really lovely talking to you both. Um, but, you know, the toolkit's going live in a few days. Um, and well, when this comes out, it will be live because uh, <laughs> I'll coordinate. Um, I think, Emrys, you already talked that, you know, your favorite part of the guide was the trans toolkit but is there anything you mm -hmm. want to talk about your little highlights your little favorites even a little story about it um, so yeah definitely the trans one um is important to me in the sense of being able to kind of quell the idea that things are up in the air and are debatable and just say like it's simple like it's not always simple but fundamentally like the fundamentals are simple um to make a welcoming environment um i do quite like the allyship one as well possibly poly because i think it was the first one that i did like the majority of the content of um and it was quite nice to kind of it was ambitious because out of all of the kind of recommendations of the report we were trying to kind of cram everything into one 
you know, even if not, oh, this, there we go, that recommendation's done, but like a stopgap. And so it kind of serves as like a little stopgap for kind of training and stuff like active bystander training and kind of like covers the fundamentals of that um, in a way that I hope will be really kind of useful to people. So yeah, so that was exciting. But I feel like the most joy I got um, during it was getting the designs um, finalized because they're just so cute. <laughs> and I kind of from the start was like, okay, can we can we color? Can we do color? Yeah, <laughs> colors. Um, and yes, we have colors <laughs> very much so. Um, and yeah, it just looks very pretty, and I'm excited to to see it again. That's so cool. That's so cool. And Laura, what about you? Any favorite? Any highlights? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, they're all, they really are all great. And, um, you know, it's kind of like picking a favorite child or something controversial uh, like that. But I think I can't help but feel kind of more um, uh, excited about the employer's guide. Um, because that, to me, I think that that has the most potential to create change everywhere. Um, like we, as the RSC, we really have put together this resource for then other departments to enact change or departments isn't even the right word for other workplaces to enact change. So it could be, you know, like chemistry departments or just maybe even individual research groups or teams in industry, you know, startups, like it's really anybody can pick this up and the considerations that need to be included in their you know, policies for LGBT employees they're in there. And so I see that as really quite empowering um, to basically yeah, like shift the conversation from like, okay, these resources are great. Let's signpost them to actually know there's one for employers to create change themselves. And so that's the one I'm kind of like most hopeful that that will create change wherever it's picked up and hopefully that will be global that will be across different sectors maybe not even just the chemical sciences as we talked about earlier like it really could be in many different workplaces so yeah I have to I think I have to pick that one as my favorite that's cool yeah and I really do hope that other you know departments fields societies pick this up and and run with it once you've put the effort and work into a good resource and I do genuinely believe it's a good resource, then, it, you know, there's no point other places repeating that work. It's, you know, work together, you've got it, and put your effort into the next stage or the, the adjoining stage or whatever it is. So, yeah, that's awesome. Oh, cool. Well, thank you both so much for joining me and chatting away. And Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you, Clara. It was so lovely to chat with you. It's been lovely. It's been absolutely lovely. Um, and if there's any sort of links that you want to put, we'll put them down below, whether that's your own Twitters or whatever, or whether it's uh, you know the links. We mentioned a few ones for the report and stuff, so we'll have them down below. Lovely. Um, I'm saying below, that's for YouTube, for podcasts. <laughs> it might be to the side or to the left or the right. I'm not really sure. Um, they'll be somewhere. <laughs> I guess actually maybe if I could mention the one link that needs to be mentioned is the toolkit one. Yes. <laughs> so the, the short link for that will be rsc.li slash LGBT dash toolkit. Cool. 
Cool, cool. And like I say, it will be linked below. Yes. <laughs> cool. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for thank chatting. You. It's been lovely. It's been really good. Yes, it has. Cool. Bye. Bye. Yeah, so thank you, Emrys, and thank you, Laura. Um, so I realise that for new viewers, it's sort of slightly different to what I normally do. I'm not usually talking about a specific thing. I'm usually talking about people and their careers. But uh, it just it made sense in this case to talk about it. And um, I've been saying for a long time that I thought that it's really important that people do the survey to find out what the state of affairs is for LGBTI plus people, and that includes STEM. And so... I think it's great that this was done with the report that the IOP RAS and RSC released and I'll put the like say the link for that below they didn't hide anything they didn't you know hide, pretend that it's better than it is um, and then they you know the RSC have actually released this toolkit which was you know part of the recommendations and so I'm really excited about this i think it's really a good thing uh, there will be an accompanying an accompanying video um on chemistry world um the the lease event will be a webinar uh, i'm one of the speakers um and that will be released on uh like say chemistry world uh, again i'll try and put the link below once uh, we have it because the event hasn't happened yet uh yeah so i thought it was a good time to sort of do this video and uh, to chat to them and I'm really grateful to the um, RSC for reaching out to me about doing that and, and putting out this interview. Um, I really enjoy working with um, I, you know the RSC so uh, that's really cool and it's great to see the real true effort being made to sort of try and make science more inclusive. Um, and it's not just LGBTI plus stuff that they're looking into, you know, there's a lot of other um, reports going on and resources being made. So, uh, yeah, so with that, uh, thanks for watching. Like I say, if you're new here, like, subscribe. Um, you maybe can't do that with podcasts, but if you're watching YouTube, then, you know, you can. Uh, if you're on the podcast, then I think you can follow so that you get automatic downloads of other science chats. On my YouTube, I do social justice videos and board game reviews and stuff. Uh, whereas the uh, podcast is is just these science chats at the moment. So, yeah, uh, thanks for watching, and until next time, take care and bye bye.